I just want to invite you, as we get started, I'm going to ask you to do something kind of weird, and don't be weird about it. Um, So I just want to encourage you to look around the room right now. Just look around. See the humans. If you saw someone that you thought was really attractive, that's the only person you can't look at today, okay? No, stop it. That's not what this is for right now. I'm getting to something. This is a point, all right? Look around the room. You see all of us here? Is this not kind of crazy that this is like so reliable? You know, there's a good shot that, that most of you, when you came here, you didn't expect to show up by yourself and just think, ah, oh, man, no one else was on the same page today. <laughs> you know, like we all just sort of knew that hundreds of us would wind up in this room. That's pretty special, honestly. Uh, I'm sure there's plenty of pastors and plenty of people out there starting to plant churches, and this is kind of what they dream of. Like, if I could just get enough people to buy in, like, something crazy would happen. And yeah, I wonder, you know, as we sit here, if we were to really search our hearts and ask ourselves, you know, if Ethos is here for five more years, if we do this thing for 10 more years, 15, 20 more years, what would happen? And if we really thought about it, if we're being honest with ourselves, I wonder what we would expect. Like, obviously, I think we'd probably be growing, right? Because we've got a bunch of little kids, and they're all going to get older, fall in love with each other, have more kids, and the church thus grows, right? The ones that stay. That's how it works. That's life. We, We get that. But would Nashville be different? Like, do you think the city would change if we existed in the city for 15 to 20 more years? If I'm being honest with you, if I'm searching my heart, even this week, I was like, man, I'm the guy that's supposed to be teaching the thing, but I struggle to believe that. Like, Jesus, if we all keep doing this, will this work? But it kind of hit me, wherever you're at with Jesus, like if you believe in Jesus and you're all about it, uh, or you're not even sure Jesus is real, or if he, if he was real, if he was actually the son of God, or whatever, wherever you're at, when you came here today, the reason that all of these people are here is because 12 people took the teaching of Jesus so seriously and they chose to orient their lives around the ways and the life of Jesus. That's our story. Like that's the church's heritage. And yet we sit here and we've got hundreds, like thousands across three campuses. And I was kind of wondering, well, why would I believe that we could like shake the world? Because that's what 12 people did, literally. That was it. That's why we're here. You know, for being honest, I think it's because a lot of us have experienced just bad Christian community. Anyone ever been a part of just a terrible house church or a terrible small group? Don't raise your hand. I'm sorry. My bad. I forget that we have house churches here. Your house church leader's here right now, and you're like, it's absolutely, oh, no, 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 no. I love your house church. You're a good leader, you know? But haven't you, though, like, I've been a part of it. I've shown up at small groups or or cell groups, or Sundays, we name it all kinds of things, but it's really just the same thing. I've been in the small groups where we, we get around the word, we read something, hey, what's this mean? Any prayer requests? Okay. And it's like, that was it? This is the victory of Jesus? Dang, man, this is pretty anticlimactic for a guy that died and resurrected from the dead. Like, wow, this is what we get? Or have you ever been to one that's like super confessional and all we're doing is talking about our sins and how bad we are and it's like, dang, this is like shame festival, 2016 right now, 17 right now, it's a new year, new year. Um, You know, but you've experienced it, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, You know what it's like to show up to a group of people, Christian or not, and just realize, man, we're all too different and this really isn't a good enough reason to be here. Like, I'm I'm out, peace. Right, we're kind of jaded. 
But tonight, what I want to invite us into, and the reason I said, like, you know, I think the reason that my heart was feeling led to say, hey, bow your heads and just, just see if your heart would be willing to take a next step. Because tonight is kind of about re-envisioning what community can be when it, is a, when it surrounds the teachings and the ways and the life of Jesus. Because although I've been a part, and I certainly have been a part of bad Christian communities that were kind of awkward and boring, I've also been a part of living, breathing, Holy Spirit-filled Christian communities, and I'm here just standing on the rock that, that church and small groups coming together and surrounding the life of Jesus and helping each other get to be more and more like Jesus is the way the world changes. I really, really believe that. That's how your life changes. That's how the people around you change. That's how Nashville changes, that if in 15 to 20 years, Ethos is still here, and our community took the ways of Jesus uh, seriously, Nashville actually would look different and beyond, but it's going to take some reimagining. So I was thinking this week, you know, what's this going to take? And I, and I want to take like a spiritual white paint roller and just paint over all of the just terrible things of your past, of just terrible, awkward community. You know, I'm just like blank slate. So God, you know, with your spirit, help this group of people, including me, to re-envision what we can do if we take you seriously and we submit ourselves to your Holy Spirit. Okay, so that's, that's the goal tonight. All right, so we're going to be in Mark chapter 3. If you've got a Bible or a phone, you can turn there. If you're using one of ours, it's going to be on page 701. And as we talk about community, uh, house churches or whatever you want to call them, as we talk about being together with people, pursuing the ways of Jesus, there's going to be kind of three main points we talked through today uh, that I think you're going to see Jesus doing super, super well. All right, so if you're a note taker, this is your time to shine right here, okay? So one thing Jesus does really well, he presses into vision. He understood vision. He knew how to cast vision. A second thing Jesus was really good at was living a life of intentionality. And that word can take on a lot of meanings, especially in the church, and we'll define that later, but a life of intentionality. The third thing Jesus was really good at was submitting to the Holy Spirit. Jesus himself submitting to the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> so let's read uh, Mark chapter 3. That's page 701. We'll start in verse 13. We'll go through verse 19. All right, let's check it out. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. Casual. <laughs> These are the 12 he appointed. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John, to them he gave the name Boanerges, is what I think Aaron told me to say. Don't know how to, don't know. Which means sons of thunder. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who would later betray him. So, okay, here's what just happened, right? I read all those names, and those of us who have been churched up for long enough, we kind of recognize a few of those, like, okay, Matthew, yeah, I remember that guy. Peter, yeah, sure. You know, and that was kind of it. We're like, that's the 12, the, the dudes that follow Jesus really well, right? And some of us, we've never really heard those names, and so we're like, that just sounds like a list of names. You know, I buy it. Okay. But there's something really cool to find in these 12 disciples. I want to talk about three, three groups of people specifically, okay? So when you see the name Matthew, I want to tell you about his career choice. He was a tax collector, all right? So what this meant was he was a Jew 
Um, but the Jewish people were under Roman rule, under the Roman Empire, you know, the big, bad Roman Empire, okay? And the Romans, they were sort of known to be a little oppressive. You know, we know that Jesus got crucified, but also many people were crucified under Roman rule as examples if you try to, you know, to overcome their government, right? So it was a, a violent, oppressive system at times. And Matthew, being a Jew, is working on behalf of the enemy to collect taxes from his own people. But there was another kind of shady spot with tax collectors. They had this reputation that they would tax a little more than they were supposed to, to add to their own gain. All right, so they wouldn't just turn in some money to the Romans, and they wouldn't just make their daily wages, they'd make a little more, and oftentimes maybe three or four times more than they were supposed to be making, okay? So just imagine that. You've got this Jewish man who's kind of known um, to work for basically, I mean, the enemy, and then make extra profit off of his own people so he could like blow money at the mall. If they had malls, they probably, I don't know, he could go buy extra fish. I'm trying to think what he'd blow money on as a first century Jewish man, but I don't know, all right? There's a second man named Simon. You'll see it in that passage, Simon the Zealot. Anyone here a zealot? Anyone here know what that is? I didn't either, so I figured it out, though. Um, a zealot uh, was, was someone who sought to overthrow the Roman government, basically, um, through riots and, like, violence. You ever heard of, like, mob mentality? That was, like, the zealot's M.O. Can I gather a bunch of people, get them really angry, and have them start killing people, actually, with swords? Like, they would literally go and fight Romans. That was kind of what they were after. Then you have people like Peter and Andrew, and they were just fishermen. They were daily wage people. All right, so their goal was catch enough food, feed me, feed the fam, sell something, make some money, support the family. That's the goal every day, day in, day out. And people like that probably, you know, they look at Matthew and they're like, I wish you'd really stop taking more of my money than you needed to. And Simon, I wish you would stop stabbing people. You're reckless and out of control. Like, what is going on, right? Like, you both need to chill with your hobbies and your careers, okay? So that's what we have. This is in the same group. Now, remember, uh, we just talked about the 12 disciples. These are going to be the men that follow after Jesus for three years and eventually will all be martyred and die for Jesus. Think about how different the people I just named are. It's so easy to make this like a faraway story. Real humans, real history. Like this is actually happening. What made them able to stick together they're like so different. Matthew working for Rome, Simon trying to kill anyone that is a Roman, right? What happened there? Because I guarantee there, there, there's not three people that are more different than the three people I just named. Like I doubt anyone here is seeking to overthrow our local government by the means of physical force. You might be. I don't think you are. I hope you're not, but that would be very weird, like very different, right? But that's what we have here in the 12 disciples, very different, unique people. People that you wouldn't see on a Saturday, like in a living room, playing spades, watching college football. Playing spades, that is such an old person hobby, I think. Do anyone play spades anymore? I don't know why I said, <laughs> shout out. Yes, playing spades, all right? Um, so anyway, so that's what's happening. But why was Jesus so good at this? How could he captivate the hearts and minds and souls of people? Well, the first thing is, I think he was really, really, I know he was really good at vision. He knew how to cast vision that would unite people. So let's look at Mark 3. Uh, right back here it says, he appointed the 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach. So immediately he has this purpose, this vision for the people who would choose to follow him, that he might send them out. 
Now, I'm about to start giving you a lot of examples from Scripture. Um, don't, you don't have to turn there. I'm going to go kind of fast. Um, maybe you can write them down. It's a good reference point. But I wanted to make sure I didn't just give you some points for how to make good community um, and you not know that this is completely based out of like, what Jesus has already done. We're just like taking it from his playbook. Okay. Um, so one example would be in Mark 1, verse 15. Jesus steps on the scene. Um, he's been baptized. Um, the God of, of all things speaks out from heaven and says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Uh, that's not a normal thing. The people that were there were like, okay, Jesus is probably important, right? He comes out as the son of God. And as he begins his ministry, he says, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. That's one of the first things he says when he really begins preaching to the people. And immediately he casts this vision. Hey, there's something taking place. And if you'll believe in me, if you'll trust me, you'll understand it's bigger than just your life. Like you might have been living a life where you were the most important, uh, where taking, your, taking care of yourself, uh, securing for yourself a good retirement, uh, taking care of your family, that might have been the thing you were about, that might have been the end game. If you're, if you're about me though, the end game has just changed. Like the kingdom of God is at hand. Something bigger is taking place, and it's right here, right now. That's vision. That's letting people know something bigger is taking place. Do you want in? All right, think about Matthew 4.19. Jesus has been uh, doing a lot of ministry at this point. He's, he's been teaching and, and healing, and there's, he's got a reputation of sorts. And he, he calls out to uh, Peter and his brother Andrew, and they're just out here fishing. And he says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately, Peter and Andrew know, if we're gonna follow this guy, he's got a different vision for us. Like, we were just gonna fish for the rest of our lives, but he's saying that if we follow him, we'll begin to fish for men. And what they would have known then, when a rabbi would call out to them and say, follow me, it means, hey, walk where I walk, physically. Like, take the steps where I take the steps. Travel where I travel. Talk to who I talk to. Love who I love, serve who I serve. And if you do that, as good as you are at catching fish in that net, you'll be just as good as at captivating the hearts and the souls of men. That's where we're headed. Do you want in? And I hear that and I'm like, yes, that sounds awesome. Captivating the hearts of men, like I, I wanna fish for men, right? That's what Jesus was so good at, casting vision. Or I think about Matthew 16, verse 18. Jesus is talking to his disciples. And he's talking to Peter, and, and Peter has just professed Jesus to be the Messiah. He's just kind of figured it out after a, years of being in ministry with Jesus. He says, you know, you're the Christ. And this is what Jesus says to Peter specifically. I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Is that not just an epic vision from Jesus for Peter? Can you imagine Jesus looking at you and saying, on this rock I'll build my church and the gates of hell will never prevail against it? Think about what that did to the trajectory of Peter's life. Like, what do you think Peter's goals were for himself were at that point? I don't know, like hang with Jesus for a few years. Maybe Jesus dies, I don't know. Maybe he'll resurrect like he said he will, but then go back to fishing, that's what I'm good at. And then Jesus looks at him and says, no, 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 no. I'm gonna build my church on you. And the gates of hell that are warring against this world will never prevail against it. Like, that's why we're here. Isn't that an amazing vision to give somebody? I wonder, have you ever had someone speak into your life and give you a word like that? And they just kind of elevated your view of yourself. Like, hey, I don't know if you know this, but like, you're really good at this. 
And if, if you'll grab the reins here, like, your future's bright. And you're like, oh, I never even noticed that. Like, that's kind of the power of vision. This is what, something that Jesus was so good at. Um, quick backstory. So about a year ago, I started a house church. And um, a house church, uh, we call them that. But really, it was just uh, I had a bunch of friends who were yeah, about like 10 to 12 of them. And I noticed, you know, we're so good at having fun together. Like, it's really easy. Like, we do, you know, late-night road trips. Uh, we, we go to sporting events. We play games. We, we eat a lot of Baja Burrito. We have a lot of fun. And, and fun wasn't hard for us. It was the easiest thing to sit around a bonfire with these people. And I started thinking about it. And I was like, in 10 years, what will I be saying when I reflect on my friendships right now? And I feel like I was going to say, I love those people so much. Like, we had a ball. We laughed like crazy. We did ridiculous things, probably not the wisest things. Hopefully we avoided blatant sin, and it was just so much fun. We all believed in Jesus. I was like, that's kind of cool. And then I kind of started thinking, but what if Jesus is real? Like, what if God is actually real? Like, you know what I'm saying? I know we all were in church, so we believe Jesus is real. But I was like, if Jesus is real, and I've got these kind of people that I love doing life with in my life, What if we chose to press into the life and the ways and the spirit of Jesus together? I said, what could happen? I started praying about this, and I ended up taking a a selfie video in my room. It was like a minute and 30 seconds long, and I think the only reason they said yes to this was because I looked really good that night, and I was just like, hey, I got a vision for us. I really want us to do this thing, and and they reluctantly said, yeah, okay, I was joking. I didn't think I actually looked good. Anyway, (laughs) golly, my bad. Um, Anyway... (laughs) So I sent them this video and I invite them to be in this house church and they say yes. And one of the things that has helped us stay together, I really believe this, is this idea of vision. So like every week I'll say something like this. Hey, I know I say this every week, but about a year ago I reached out to you guys and we've added some since. But I just said, hey, I want to go deeper with you. Like you guys are like my best friends and we have so much fun together, but I think I want to have a time of intentional time with Jesus, like where we we talk to each other and journey together. And I want you to know that I believe in you and that I see God in you and that you can change the game in this world. And we are here, no matter where you're at on your spiritual journey, if you believe in God or if you don't believe in God, whatever you're at, we are here to talk about the ways of Jesus. We want to get to know Jesus better. And we want to see the ways of Jesus uh, work themselves, work their work themselves. I don't know how to say it. The ways of Jesus make their way into this group of people. What Jesus did, we want to do. And where we're struggling to do it, we're going to help each other. Who Jesus loved, we want to love. You know, where Jesus went, we want to go. And there's this constant recasting of vision. And the reason I think this is so important, you know, in your friend groups, is because one, it reminds you of what's the end game here. Like, where is this actually headed? We want to see Jesus, right? And it also kind of holds you responsible to the vision. You know, if I say that and it's all fluff and none of it's true, someone can speak up and say, Josh, I hear you, it's a good vision, but it's not really happening right now. We need to make some adjustments. And so I would encourage you, one, I know this is a weird conversation. Like, how often are you casting vision to your casual friends? It's, it's such a weird thing to think about. But I would encourage you, who are your friends? Who are the people you're doing life with? Where are these friendships headed? Are you dreaming big enough? Is the vision big enough? Does Jesus have a hold of it? Are you guys walking towards him that the kingdom can be advanced in your community? I think it's a really important step. 
Uh, Secondly, intentionality. Jesus was so good at being intentional. And like I said, this word uh, can sometimes go a lot of different directions. But when I say intentional, kind of the definition that I'm working with right now um, is to, with grace and love, have conversations that create change and help others. All right, with grace and love, to have conversations that create change and help others. This is another thing Jesus was so good at. So in Mark 3, obviously, he's going to call the disciples. He's gonna, there's there's going to be a big crowd of people, but he's going to go to you specifically. You know, you, like, you know, Kyle, I'm wanting you to follow me. That's, that's what I'm after. So he's, he's very intentional there, and one of his reasons is just to be with him. He intentionally goes and says, I want you to be with me. Right, But there's some other examples where he speaks into people's lives. There's this moment in Matthew 16, the scripture we just referenced, where he's talking to Peter, and he asked Peter, and he asked the disciples, he's like, hey, you know, we've been doing ministry together. Uh, what are you hearing? Who are people saying that I am? And I can just hear this conversation. The disciples start chatting, you know, well, uh, we, we've heard some people say that you're Elijah, the dude that like died like a thousand years ago. That's kind of crazy because, you know, we don't think that's who you are. Or, uh, people are saying you're John the Baptist. He was beheaded a few, like a while back, but they apparently think you resurrected. We don't think that, but you know, that's what we're hearing. But as this conversation's happening, Jesus ends up looking at Peter directly and says, but Peter, who do you say that I am? And there's this moment where it goes from a conversation where this idea of what we all kind of believe and what we're all hearing, but Jesus challenges Peter and says, what do you think? Where are you at with this? And then Peter professes, like, I think you're the Christ, like, I think you're the Messiah. And this is something Jesus is so good at and something that I think uh, we as people can kind of struggle with because I think we're all decent at hanging out with each other and keeping it casual and talking games and The Bachelor or whatever you're into, you know, and uh, we can do that. Any Bachelor fans? Anyway, so yeah, hey, respect. Um, So, you know, we're good at that, at keeping it casual, but it gets hard when it's time to actually ask, hey, you specifically, where are you at with Jesus? How can I be praying for you? How's your obedience? Where are you hearing from God? Are you spending time with God? Does he feel far away? Like, what is it? That can be kind of hard. Another example that I think of is after this conversation with Peter, Jesus is eventually going to be arrested because the people, some of the people, uh, they don't like what Jesus is after. And so they arrest him and he eventually gets crucified and murdered. Um, And a lot of you know this story, but if you don't, um, three days later, he's going to resurrect. But After he's arrested and about to be murdered, uh, the people who are are kind of all for Jesus getting murdered see Peter and they say, Peter, don't you know him? I think I've seen you with him. Like, I'm pretty sure you know Jesus. And Peter in his fear says, I have no idea who Jesus is. Like, no, if he's about to get killed, I don't know him, right? And he's, he's scared. And that was a hard moment for Peter because he had promised Jesus, Jesus, I'll die for you. But there's this moment of betrayal and then Jesus goes on to be crucified. And then three days later, he resurrects from the dead and he reveals himself to his disciples. And I don't know what Peter thought. I'm sure he had mixed feelings about Jesus resurrecting again because he's like, man, it's good news you're alive. I hope that you didn't use your omniscience or whatever to know that I denied you three times. And Peter sits with Jesus on the beach and Jesus is gonna ask these questions. All right, he's gonna go from from eating a meal with his disciples, but he's gonna get intentional with Peter. He says, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, yes. And Jesus says, feed my sheep. Do you love me? Ask him again. Yes, feed my sheep, meaning take care of my people, meaning build my church. Ask him a third time, Peter, do you love me? Yes, feed my sheep. And I love this moment because what is Jesus doing? He's being intentional and he's taking Peter back to the vision. 
He's like, Peter, I know you messed up. Like, I know you messed up. I, I saw that. I knew that would happen. We talked about this. But is your heart still for me? Because my heart is still for you. Like, do you still believe in me? Because I still believe in you. Like, the vision hasn't changed. I'm still going to build my church on you. And this is the power we have as people. With intentionality, we can speak life into one another. Have you ever had someone just speak an encouraging word that just kind of changed your attitude? Or just speak a word of grace that reminded you you are so loved in the midst of the mess? It's like Jesus looked at Peter and was like, I'm not calling you to perfection. I'm just calling you to follow me. Let's keep moving. We can do that as a community. So I just want you to dream and imagine, like, who are my people? And how can I be more intentional? Where can I ask them questions? Where can I encourage them? And in my own house church, this has been um, a place of growth for us. We've had to ask each other, like, hey, what are you hearing from God? Like, when we read this passage, what do you see Jesus saying to you right now? How can this apply to your life? Or, or what are you scared of? Or what are you doubting? How can we help you there? But I really believe that if we'll begin to get more intentional in our conversations with people, we'll, we'll move from a people that are so good at talking about things up in the clouds, and we'll actually start to see real, tangible, practical growth and change in our lives. So Jesus, so good at intentionality. All right, last one, uh, the Holy Spirit. Man, Jesus was so good at pressing into the Holy Spirit. Now, the minute I said Holy Spirit, um, whether it's because I've been talking too long or because uh, the Holy Spirit's so mysterious, a lot of you checked out, right? Um, like a lot of us can hear the vision conversation and we're like, okay, yeah, yeah, I can think about vision. I can do that. And the intentional conversation, okay, yeah, I can be more intentional with my friends. But when we start talking about the Holy Spirit, it's just like, I don't know, man. The Holy Spirit's weird. Like, he's crazy. You never really know what the Holy Spirit's up to. Uh, he's either doing something you, you didn't expect or maybe like he's not doing anything when you thought he would or you don't see it all happening. Like the Holy Spirit's just a weird thing. Like it's like, it's almost like you can't control him, you know? It's like you can't make him do whatever he wants you to do. He kind of does his own thing. And it's, it's almost like we have to submit to, to the Holy Spirit rather than the Holy Spirit submit to us. And that's a big epiphany moment, right? Like the Holy Spirit isn't something that, that we get to take advantage of in, in the sense that we get to kind of control it. Um, the Holy Spirit is at its best when we yield to his power. We come before God and say, have your way. In Mark chapter 3, back to the original scripture we were reading, it says, he appointed the 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out and to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. I have never seen a five-step plan to how to drive out demons, like in your practical daily life, right? It's like, why? Because you need the spirit of God for stuff like that. <laughs> like, that's not on our level. We need God there. And this is something that really hit me. Because uh, over and over again in the Gospels, we see like Luke 5, 16, it says Jesus often slips away to go and pray. Uh, there's another moment where the disciples are trying to cast out a demon, and Jesus says this only comes out by prayer. There's the prayer in John 17 where Jesus is praying for his disciples. In Mark 1, when Jesus starts his ministry, he goes up to a mountain and prays for 40, or in the wilderness, and he prays for 40 days and 40 nights. Prays and fast. That's 10 days more than we're doing. Jesus is up there just being with the Father. And it's evident in the Gospels, prayer is everything. Like the Spirit of God is everything. And yet if I'm being honest, when I think about my community, you know, my small group or whatever you want to call it, oftentimes prayer is such like a ritual. It's like, you know, you pray, but you pray because that's what you do. Like, does anyone pray before the meal? 
Do you ever catch yourself doing that because that's just what happens? Like, you just, dear God, okay, yeah, they bless the food, whatever that means, and like, Holy Spirit, what do you think? You know, and I found myself praying before house church and just saying, you know, Holy Spirit, have your way, do your thing, whatever you want to do, do it amongst us. But then the next hour, I would just fill my time in such a way that the Holy Spirit never had a shot at speaking. Does anyone relate to that? I really believe that if we want to see God take a hold of our communities, we have got to get more comfortable opening ourselves up to the Holy Spirit, submitting ourselves to the ways of the living God coming in our midst and transforming our hearts. I'll tell, I'll tell you sort of what this looked like in my, in my community. You know, oftentimes we'll have someone with a guitar, you know, because it's Nashville and we have like four guys that can do that and uh, they'll play soft music and we'll read a passage of scripture and then we'll just sit We'll just sit there quietly, and there's always music playing because our generation just does not do silence. It's so awkward, and so we'll have music playing, and we'll read a passage of scripture and say, like, okay, for the next, you know, five minutes, we're not going to say anything, and we're just going to listen for the Spirit of God. Or maybe we'll get in a circle and just sit quietly and say, like, hey, you know, we're going to have a time of just, like, saying thank you to God. Like, when something comes into your heart that you just want to say, thank you, Lord, we're just going to worship Him together. We've had moments where we've said, hey, uh, life's hard and we're really discouraged and there's a lot of lies. There's just a lot of lies the enemy feeds us. So let's sit together and pray together and call out lies from the enemy. Like what lies are you believing right now? Let's call them out. And then after we call them out, let's pray to God for strength to overcome them. And you know, call me crazy, I, I think we're actually getting better and better at praying. I'd even say we might be enjoying it just a little bit, which is crazy, you know, because prayer is kind of a weird thing. At least for me growing up, it was. And so I encourage you, if you're worried about this, this conversation, prayer being uncomfortable with your friends, let me encourage you, it will be uncomfortable, 100%. Like, it will be, I, I, oh, 99%. I almost guarantee it. it may be amazing, but the first couple of times, it's kind of weird because we're not very used to treating God like he's real. <laughs> like, let's just be honest. Like, when we're with our friends, we're not very used to saying, God, we really believe you're real, and we're going to talk to you that way. But I would encourage you, like, any, any new habit, at first you're going to feel some resistance because you're getting used to it. This is real in, in any part of life, when you're adapting to something new. But like any habit, it becomes a normalcy. And as you continue in the discipline of opening up your heart to Jesus with your friends, like pray with your friends, this becomes a place of normalcy. And I really believe, and I think I've seen, it becomes a place of power. All right, so I just encourage you. So uh, Jesus is, is so good with vision, and so we need to be uh, diligent about casting a vision for our friend groups. And he's so intentional. So let's take conversation deeper. Let's be more intentional. Um, and Jesus leans into the Holy Spirit. So as we close, I just want to... Let's try leaning into the Holy Spirit together. And as we close, I just want to ask the question, what's, what's the end game of this? Like, what's the why in even this topic? What's the vision here? And I want you to turn to Acts chapter 2. And I'll get you that page number in just a second. Uh, page 759. Thank you guys for sticking with me. I know this is like the most, I'm, I'm a feeler, I'm an emotional guy, and this conversation is like so logistical and, you know, vision and intentionality and Holy Spirit, and these are the steps, and, and I know that, so thank you for being with me. I really do trust, though, um, that this conversation's better than any, like, hype 
pep talk that we all leave out really emotional, but no real change happens. I think, I think these are some really good tangible steps for us. Um, so Acts 2, verse 42, there's this moment where the disciple Peter, remember that guy that Jesus said, I'll build my, my church on you. Um, he's preached this sermon after Jesus has resurrected and ascended to heaven. And 3,000 people have come to believe in him. So something real, just low-key, 3,000 coming to believe in Jesus, right? Like not a big deal at all. Um, and this is the result. When they come to Jesus, this is what the community starts doing. And this is the end game. This is ours for the taking, right here. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles, all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. That's the end game. That when people saw us, this passage says that there was favor among the people. That when people see us as Christians living in a community, that they don't think about being, uh, they don't think about a legalistic community, a judgmental community. They're not jaded. They see generosity. They see joy. They see the Holy Spirit. And daily, people will come to know the goodness of Jesus. So um, that's the end goal, to see people come to know Jesus. Because Jesus is amazing news. So as we go to communion... Uh, I just encourage you to think about something. You may be a house church leader, and you may, need, you may just be worn out and feel like, man, house church is so dead lately. I would just encourage you, think about your vision. Think bigger. Maybe get a little more intentional, and maybe let the Holy Spirit in a little more. Or maybe you're not a leader of anything, but you're a part of a group or, or have a friend group, and maybe it's just time for you to rethink, where are we headed? Where are we going? Or maybe you're here, and you don't even have a community. Um, Aaron's going to give you some great next steps. If you want to get plugged into a house church and get plugged into a community and pursue Jesus, um, we can do that. So thank you guys so much for sticking with me. I'm going to pray for us, um, and then I'll dismiss this uh, to communion. Um, God, thanks for your word and for your example. Jesus, um, will you just work in this conversation? Um, help us to dream bigger right now. If we're, if we're sleepy because it's dark outside so early in the day nowadays, um, will you wake us up and help us just to dream? Um, Jesus, um, you're so good. Have our hearts. Amen.